In our series of working our way through the Gospel of John, which we will stay in until about the end of June. And the particular focus we are looking for is to discover, to discern how God is at work in our world, in people's lives, through his people, through the Lord Jesus, discovering and learning so that our focus this year is to be a people who are working with him, cooperating with him in all that he is endeavouring to do. John chapter 6 is certainly the longest chapter in, the gospel, in John's Gospel. It's about the second longest chapter in the New Testament. And when you read through the whole chapter, you'll discover that there are amazing parallels between what Jesus does in this chapter and what God had already done <clears throat> 1,500 years beforehand through Moses in miracles through Moses, the deliverance through Moses, the killing of the firstborn, which is prefiguring Jesus' death as the firstborn, uh, coming to the Red Sea, so here we have going through the, the storm on the water. There is the whole teaching about manna and the bread from heaven, and the true bread from heaven is, of course, the Lord Jesus. It's the people even grumbling back with Moses. So here in this chapter, the people are grumbling. And just like not everybody made it into the promised land, so here in this chapter, you have people who will walk away, who will fall away, intentionally leave the Lord Jesus. And Daniel, our youth director, is uh, preaching tonight at tonight's baptism service. And he's going to look at the very last paragraph, which is looking at those responses that some people gave. This morning, we are going to look at um, particularly the first 15 verses see what lessons we can learn from that for ourselves, but primarily to discover um, <clears throat> how Jesus works, how God worked through Jesus, and how he continues to do that today. So John chapter 6, verse 1, let me read to you from the NIV. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, <clears throat> it's also called the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they had seen the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. And Jesus went up on a mountainside, he sat down with his disciples and the time was the Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming to for him, before him, <coughs> excuse me, he said to Philip, uh, where were we going to buy some bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages, 200 days' wages, 200 denarii, would not be enough to buy enough bread for each one to have just a little, just to have a bite. Eight months' wages. Another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, here is a, a boy, a lad, and he's got five small barley loaves, five pikelets, and two small fish, two sardines. But how far is that going to go amongst so many? And Jesus said to them, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And so they sat down. There was about 5,000 men, not counting women, not counting children, 5,000 men. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated um, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. 
When they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of, from the five barley loaves um, that were left over by those who had eaten. <clears throat> After the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It's the only miracle outside the resurrection. It's the only miracle that the Lord Jesus performs, which is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. No other miracle gets a Guernsey in all four Gospels. That alone indicates there's something significant about this miracle. There's something for us to note. It was certainly very public, probably one of the most public of all miracles that Jesus did, and therefore there are very many witnesses. He takes something which is already pre-existing, the loaves and the fish, and he multiplies them abundantly, incredibly. There's one other miracle similar to this, and also in John's Gospel, where he turns the water into wine. And perhaps that's one of the significance of it. That the water turned into wine reminds us about his blood, and here the bread reminds us about his body. And it's John who doesn't give any teaching on the Lord's Supper. But he does give us both these miracles. And it's certainly fair to say, before I pray, all other miracles that Jesus does certainly demonstrates his power and illustrate the work that he came to do. But this one, this says something about him, that he is the bread of life, that it's available for everybody. There's enough and plenty for all not physically, spiritually, to feed and nourish on him. We're going to pray and then we'll work our way through some of this passage of scripture. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for we have this opportunity to come to be together, to have the blessing of your word, the gift of your spirit, and we pray now that your spirit might take your word and that he might speak to each one of us, that he might nourish us that our faith might be strengthened stretched and developed perhaps lord there's some here this morning who need to hear a word of correction or a word of challenge and we pray that you will give it there could be some here lord who are struggling who have questions and they're overwhelmed with life circumstances and we pray that you'll minister your grace your sustaining strength to them for all of us, we pray that you might help us to understand more about the person of the Lord Jesus and what he requires of us. And we ask this in his name. Amen. The crowd that is following the Lord Jesus didn't know him. And what they knew of him, what little they knew of him, while it was true, it was inadequate, like many people today. What they know about the Lord Jesus is probably true but inadequate, not necessarily all true. Some people saw him simply as a clever physician. Others saw him as a miracle worker. Others called him as, would have seen him as someone who walked very close with God or a wonderful teacher or a, lived a beautiful life, a beautiful example for us to follow. <clears throat> not many at this stage saw him as who he was. He is the new Moses. He is the promised Messiah. He is the prophet who was to come into the world. He is the saviour for sinners. He is the one who is the bread of life. 
given for us. So the crowds come, they follow him out of curiosity and probably out of more pursuing physical material uh, needs. And certainly at the end of the chapter when they're scheming and planning that this guy would be good to be our king because he could run the economy really well, much better than Joe Hockey ever could. <clears throat> Mind you, he wouldn't have opposition either like Joe Hockey has. Um, it's interesting, they don't know Jesus that well and yet they come to him and he doesn't repel them. Jesus, when you read the other Gospels, and I, I don't want to do this too much, but it's good to compare the stories. But the mistake of comparing the stories is that you miss what John is saying. So by all means, compare the other Gospel stories, but then take note of what John leaves out, because sometimes that's significant. <clears throat> He's saying something by the absences of what he doesn't report. <clears throat> but to note, they come, they hardly know him. Jesus knows their motives. He knows they're after just the physical stuff. Um, and at some points he will correct that. But the interesting thing is his heart goes out towards them, that he is favourably disposed to help. Well, God is still like that. He is favourably disposed towards us. As I think Max Licardo said, God is not mad at you, but God is mad about you. He loves you. He cares for you. He created you. He yearns that you'll walk very closely with him, that you'll know him and that you'll have a relationship with him. That's what he wants. And very sadly, not everybody will. So let me just walk you through this passage very quickly, making some observations on the way and then apply it at the end. Verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Hey, Philip, where can you go and buy some bread to feed these people? And Jesus said this only to test him. Because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Father had already told him, this is what we're going to do today. <clears throat> Maybe sometimes we're like Philip, that we will find ourselves in a situation where Jesus is testing us. That he orchestrates circumstances. They're not by accident, they're not by chance. They're these divine appointments where he brings about something in order to test us. It could be a bill that arrives that you didn't expect. It could be some unexpected bad news that you receive. It could be something at home, one of the appliances breaks down and now you've got to go find another one or whatever. Or it could be an increase in demands upon your time or upon your resources and you're finding yourself stretched. Well, in the midst of those sorts of times, this is the point. It's a test. Do we look to our own resources? Is our first point of call to think, what can I do? How much money do I have in the bank? How will I solve this? Or, and for most of us, myself included, it's a very natural thing to do, isn't it? But the lesson the Lord wants to develop in us is we get to know him and as we journey with him, as we work with him, is that he will want us to take all of these situations to him to cast our care upon him. Have we learnt that lesson? To spread each difficulty before him, to lay it up, to hand it over. Have we developed that habit or is it occasional? Because you know, and I remind you anyway, but <clears throat> whatever situation you find yourself in, what does that compare to the power of the living God? Jeremiah 32 verse 17 
speaks about, Lord, how great you are. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth. You stretch them out with your hand. Nothing is impossible for you. Remember that. Bring that need, that situation before God. Cast your cares upon him. I know it's a lot easier to say and it's harder to do. I agree. But it is essential that we learn this lesson. Let's ask in faith. Let's cry out in sincerity. Let's lean on him more completely. Let's ask and wait. That's why this issue about Hertford Street that we're meeting to pray about today and Wednesday and next Sunday. Yeah, this is a test. And we need, Lord, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to do that? Because if we stop and think about it, my blood pressure goes up, my stress level rises. If we hear God say, no, I don't want you to do it, I'll be dancing. I'll be jumping up and down. Thank goodness. But if he says, yep, this is what I want you to do as a church, then there's a lot of hard work. We can't do it by ourselves. We are going to have to be on our knees, trusting him. There are many issues to solve and to be dealt with. And I'm not wanting to preempt what God's going to say to you, but I do want you to be listening and I do want you to be giving feedback because it will be up to us. What does the Lord want us to do? This is a test. We need to know exactly what he wants us to do. Notice what Philip does. Philip calculates. Philip, where can we go and buy some bread to feed these people? And we're not told that happens immediately, but he obviously does a quick count. He does a quick calculation. And his calculation is very clever, but it's excluding Christ. You ever done that? Calculated how you can do something, but left out the Lord's will, left out the Lord supplying it for you, becoming occupied with our own resources and not casting our cares upon him. Or young Andrew comes. And that's because Jesus says, let's go and find out how many layers we've got amongst the crowd. And they go out and they find out, and that's the result. There is one kid... And he has five little loaves, five little pikelet-sized flat bits of bread and two fish, two sardine-sized little fish. That's it. Jesus is setting this up to say, here is an incredible need and there are no resources. The resources are completely inadequate because now he's going to do something and he wants them to be involved in it. He wants them to see what he is capable of doing. It's a wonderful story in that sense. Verse 10, Jesus goes on after having gone through these um, episodes of them calculating and them trying to resolve it and Jesus trying to set it up to say, just watch this, just look to me and see what I can do. Verse 10, Jesus says to them, have the people sit down. He's going to do something. And it's A.W. Pink, he makes the comment, we should be very grateful that God's blessings are dispensed according to his grace and not according to our merit or according to our faith. We should be very grateful that God's blessings are dispensed according to his grace, his kindness and goodness. 
And sometimes, like in this story, God will work despite our negativity or despite our lack of faith. He will still do something. It's interesting, there is no rebuke for Philip or for Andrew. But there is this other test. Will you do what I say? Have the crowd sit down. They don't, there's no record and probably there is no indication in their hearts of saying, well, this is a waste of time. What are we going to be doing this for? There is this test of obedience. Just like back in Luke chapter 5, you have that story where Jesus gets Peter's boat and he launches out into the deep and Jesus says, let down your nets and Peter's objecting. Uh, Lord, we've done it all night and it hasn't worked and, but if you say so, we will. Jesus testing. Test us, tested them when they were tired, tested them when they didn't agree, but they did it. So too here, the disciples are doing what Jesus wants them to do. Their faith may have failed. They didn't look to Jesus. They didn't consider what he was setting up. But they were obedient to what he did say. They act on their instructions, not on what they can see. And thus, by their act of obedience, their faith in turn is strengthened, enlightened, motivated. They get to discover something about this incredible Lord. Truth for us, blessings flow through obedience. I love what verse 6 says, that he knew what he would do. He knows what he'll do. And the interesting thing is, in this story and in our lives, he does it with us. He does not normally do it without us. He works in our world and he is committed to working through his people. That's why he will wake you up in the middle of the night and ask you to pray about something. That's why he'll put ideas and prompt you to visit or to call or to give or to do something. He's working and he wants to work with us and through us. And it's this act of obedience. This is the distinguishing mark of followers of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus has the people sit down, 5,000 men plus women plus children in groups of 50 and 100. It's a lot of groups, at least a couple of hundred groups. Um, And the more you imagine this and you think about it, the more it does not make sense, which is what led some liberal scholars to try and explain this miracle, that really it's not Jesus multiplying those five loaves and two fish, what it really is is that when, G- when the crowd see this little kid and how generous he is that he gives all of his lunch to Jesus and he's got nothing left, they're so moved in their hearts that they reach into their cloaks and they bring out their buns and their morning tea and their afternoon tea. And it's really a miracle of generosity that Jesus changed hearts. What a load of hogwash. Because at the end, the crowd is so moved. Is this the prophet who's coming to the world? He'd be good to have as a king because he can do things. No, this is a remarkable miracle. Five buns and he takes it and sets the obvious example, gives thanks to God who is the provider and giver of all good things. And we are to do the same, to be grateful and thankful for all good things. And then he breaks it. So now he's got two halves. And he turns to Peter and he gives it to Peter. And then he takes another one. There are only five loaves, but there are 12 apostles, 
12 disciples. The numbers don't add up. So he breaks it and gives it to him. And when he comes back, he breaks it and gives it away. And he breaks that and gives it away. And then he's still got more. Where'd it come from? I don't know. He created it. He took that little and multiplied it. Maybe when he broke it in half and he gave it to Peter, he actually gave him two. And it was multiplying that way. We're not given the details. But Peter takes what he's got and he goes to the first group and he hands it out. And it's enough for them. And then he comes back and joins the queue and lines up and he gets more. And he keeps going. And you do the maths, they do, you know, 10 plus trips each to get this food out to the people. And everybody is fed and everybody is eating. What's remarkable is that Jesus didn't need the five loaves and two fish, did he? He could have created it like he did. But he takes the little gift and uses it and blesses it and multiplies it. He is the God who does not despise small things. He takes what we have and uses it to impact other people's lives and in the process he often multiplies it. That we can't outgive him. We can give to him and to his cause and he multiplies it and at the end of the day the little guy who had five loaves and two fish, he probably ate far more than that on that day. And at the end, there are not five loaves and two fish left over, there are 12 baskets left over. Jesus takes the little gift, multiplies it. He did the work, but interestingly, he doesn't do the work without them. He's not limited by our resources, but he loves to use us and them. We are co-laborers with him. So Jesus feeds the crowd. Verse 11 wonderfully says, uh, till they all had received as much as they wanted. Here are some very quick lessons for us. That which we receive, we are to pass on to others. Whatever the Lord blesses you with, use it to pass it on to others. He is resourcing us, he's resourcing you in order that you can pass it on. 2 Corinthians 9 talks about how our God will supply you with everything that you will need so that you can be generous and give to others and then God will in turn resupply you, just like in this story. That's how he works. We can't give to others until we ourselves are first received. God is the one who gives the increase, not us. And if you're on the pastoral team in this church or if you're a preacher in this church, then let us particularly, if you're a life group leader and you teach God's word, then let those people particularly seek bread from the hands of the Lord Jesus, spiritual food, and set that before the people. What they do with the bread is up to them. But it's our responsibility to come to him and to get the bread from him, the food, the spiritual food that they need. And so the people eat and they are all full. There is this endless supply, all is needed. There is this rich abundance. So we too, like these people, have a need, a great need. And we, he has limitless, he has an ocean of resources. We are to bring our buckets to him that he can fill it. There was a, a prayer or a poem or a response of, I think it was, it doesn't matter, I think it was a missionary. And the person says something like this. Lord, I came to you on bended knee with doubts in my heart, you know, quivering lips, and I brought my cup that you might fill it. 
And when I discover how generous and how vast is your kindness towards us, I should have brought a bucket that he wants to give far more than we probably are willing to receive. Remember that when you come to the throne of grace. Remember that when you're tired and struggling, when you're wounded and hurting, when you've gotten astray and you're feeling guilty. Abundant grace, incredible gifts and mercy, kindness predisposed towards us. So all the people were filled. Contrasting with the words of Philip. We spent 200 days wages that only get a little. Yeah, well, watch this. We're not going to spend anything and they're going to have their fill. That's the God we're coming to. That's the one we're going to be asking, Lord, what do you want us to do? His grace is abundantly poured out for us. And at the end, of course, the Lord Jesus gives instructions. I want you to gather up that which is left over, not only because don't waste it, we ought not to waste God's resources and that which he gives us, but also because it would highlight for them the abundant supply of what he had just done, performing this incredible miracle. So, Amelia, can we put the screen, the um, PowerPoints up now? Here is the application for us, and then I'm going to pray. Four points. <clears throat> Number one. Jesus is all sufficient to meet our needs, physically, spiritually, financially, relationally. All sufficient. What you need. And the fact is, he is the one who is in control of these situations. In this passage, he knows what he's going to do. He is the one who created this test. He's the one who gives instructions. Have the people sit down. Gather up what's left over. Knowing what's in people's hearts, he walks away. We need to tune in with him because he is the one in control in all situations. Lord, what do I do in this situation that you have allowed? And bear in mind that he is very concerned for us. He is not opposed to us, but he loves us incredibly. Number two, Jesus is not only sufficient to meet all of our needs, Jesus wants us to realise our great need and that we are inadequate in ourselves to, bring our, to meet our own needs. Our inability is his opportunity. Not just in the physical material realm, certainly it includes that, but spiritually. We have a great need. And we can't solve it. My dad has a great need spiritually and he can't solve it he thinks he can but he's wrong your non-christian friends and family members and loved ones they have a great need spiritually and they can't solve it but he can and only he can and here is the third truth jesus works through us and through our resources he wants to use you He works through people who obey him and he works through people who surrender their resources to him, who give him whatever it is they have, their talents, their gifts, their time, their money. What has God given you and what do you need to yield to him so that he can be working through you? Jesus works through us. That's how he works in the world, through his people. And then as I've tried to emphasise in this, fourth and finally, Jesus meets our needs abundantly.
He's not limited by our resources. And if we yield to him, we give to him our five loaves and two fishes, he will abundantly provide more than what we need. Simple truths, great truths. Not truths for us simply to know. Truths for us to implement in our lives. That this is how we are meant to live. In relationship with him, relying upon him. He will test us to see, to make us aware of our great need. To underline that we are inadequate of ourselves. That he wants us to cooperate with him. To do what he says. And then to rejoice in what he does do through us for others let's pray heavenly father thank you for the truths of this miracle that you're the god of abundance the god of generosity the god of infinite grace mercy the one who knows the one who cares, and the one who is at work. So Lord, work in us. Help us not just to know those truths, but to live by them. Lord, work through us. We surrender and offer ourselves to you. Take us and use us to do your will. Tell us, Lord, what you want us to do, and we'll do it. And we'll keep coming back to you for your supply, for your resourcing, so that it's clear that it's you who is at work and not us. And we want you to be the one who is glorified. We want you to be the one who is exalted. Lord Jesus, hear us and grant this, we pray, in your great name. Amen. Amen. As we finish off the service I would invite you to consider if you have needs that you want someone to stand with you and pray with you the front area is open